You are listening to Irish Illustrated Insider with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. I am Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. And it is Thursday, October 3rd, two days before Notre Dame takes on Bowling Green. Notre Dame is a whopping 46-point favorite over the Falcons, over under 61. So what's that work out to? So if, if, uh, if Notre Dame scored, if it went over and Bowling Green scored 7, then Notre Dame would score... 55. It's a pretty good prediction. Yeah. You want that? I'm yeah, not 55 is a little low. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if Notre Dame can hit 60 because Kent State hit 62. And as bad as Bowling Green's defense is, which they are, by the way, last in the country in defensive completion percentage at 75%. Have you ever heard? Have you ever? <laughs> Heard somebody no. giving up seventy five percent, but I'm gonna I'm, okay. I'm not gonna turn this into a joke because we turned Ball State into a joke. I think this team is worse, much worse than Ball State was last year. But Notre Dame a heavy favorite, and as I look at it right now, I don't see any way in the world that forget Bowling Green winning that they can even cover this game. There must be a way they can cover it, or they would astronomically move yeah. the line. But um, I, you know, Matt Fortuna is one of our old colleagues, and I work with him now. He said that it was like seventy five percent of the money was on Notre Dame in this game. I mean, it was it was a high high percentage of people. Who so it has to go up more. Yeah, it probably will. I mean, it's it's gone up. I think it. I thought it started at forty four and a half. It is. It's forty six now, as of this morning, or at least one of the lines that I Yikes. saw uh, is is forty six. There's no such thing as a sure thing, as everybody knows. But I can't imagine Notre Dame not scoring fifty five at minimum. 56 points, 8 touchdowns. Uh, I guess you could not score 56, 60 points if you're Notre Dame if you're held to 40 in the first half, and then there's just a lot of killing time, and you get to 54 points. You know, That's the only way I can look at it. I just really. don't think that's going to happen. I don't either. Well, I really and plus, don't. And plus, Notre Dame's in the, the mindset now of you got to let your backups play, you got to let your quarterbacks throw. Yeah, and they're in the mindset, I think, of, well, I'm sure we'll have questions on this. You need to get the offense rolling and crisp a little bit. So there's not, right. there's no reason to yeah. uh, my pull f- back. My favorite stat, I sent it to you guys last night, was that, <laughs> that Kent, Kent scored or uh, gained 750 yards against them. And I looked to see what the breakdown was. And That's it was hilarious. 375 rushing and 375 <laughs> passing. An equal opportunity defensive offender. He took nothing away. (laughs) Take your poison, I'll take both. (laughs) All right, see, we're laughing. We're laughing at a phone here again. Just look up these last few scores. I mean, it's impossible. It's impossible that they give this many points all the time wherever he goes. It's record setting at Notre Dame, record setting at Louisville. I, that's why I, I said, when, when was Lamar Jackson's last year at Louisville? And it, it, it was 2017 when the defensive coordinator there, at, they gave up 27 points per game. He left and went to Cal, which is where he currently is. And then Van Gorder came in and the opponent scored 17 points more per game last year. They, they did quit last year. Um, now that's on Van Gorder and Petrino, but probably more on Petrino. Um, of course. But they did quit last year because it went from... You know, holding Virginia to 27, holding Florida State to 28, Alabama doesn't count, 51. Probably held Alabama to 51, obviously, to 66, 56, 77, 54, 52, 56. Right. That's quitting. That So I think that's a lot. He, he can do more than that, but the pieces just do not aren't, aren't there. And honestly, I read a, a, a Toledo Blade article um, from the spring, and he said that this situation is much like the last three he walked into where it was a difficult situation. 
Who is on that? Who is on that? Uh, Jalen first Smith? the twenty fourteen. Trying to get in Vegorder's mind, I thought they switched had to switch from a three four to four three, but that's what he wanted. They had Jalen Smith, Sheldon Day, Isaac Rochelle, Matthias Farley, Kavari Russell. Although he did not get to play that year, but he got to play the next year. Right. James Onawalu moved over, and all of these guys are active or injured active pros. Not sure where he's coming from there. Uh, the news is got worse for Bowling Green during the offseason because Jared Dagey, who threw, whose numbers were very similar to Bryce Perkins' passing numbers from last year, Jared Dagey transferred to West Virginia, and they didn't. They really <laughs> he would rather not play. He would rather not play. Yeah, than 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 play there. Uh, so he had to sit out of West Virginia, and so the quarterback is. Darius Wade, if that name is familiar, he is the former Boston College quarterback, left-handed quarterback. He may be in the process of losing his job to Grant Loy, which your insider Tim said that could be happening. Yeah. Um, they want Scott Leffler, the the head coach, the former Michigan quarterback, the former offensive coordinator at Virginia Tech and Boston College. His connections with Boston College, I think, got him Darius Wade as a um, grad transfer. Um, and so, anyway, Scott Leffler wants to run the football, but they don't run it well. They're they're averaging under four yards per carry. Uh, Andrew Clare, I like their one of their running backs. He looks pretty good. Quentin Quentin Morris, a wide receiver, is you know more almost tight endish more than wide receiver ish, so to speak. Uh, but they've scored twenty seven points against three FBS schools, and they're giving up thirty eight a game. Yeah, any anything is skewed a little bit by their forty six three win over, I believe, Morgan State to start. Tyrone, Tyrone Wheatley is the head coach at Morgan State, by the way. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Couldn't have gotten that in fifty guesses. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the, okay, things that they have done well. Uh, they're averaging three sacks per game, which is good. But four of those came against Morgan State, so they have eight and three games against the others, which is, I guess, a little bit above middle of the road. They're their penalties were down until their last game. I just don't see very many redeeming qualities. They're giving up 5.1 yards per rush. I told you about the pass percentage. They've given up nine touchdown passes with one interception, one interception on 96 attempts. They don't have they don't yeah. have a chance. Defensively, um, talking to the guy that covers them for the blade, um, he mentioned that the, the young players on defense are actually their best players. So the true freshman, Joe Jawan Hudson at corner. But he's been starting a true torched. freshman. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, he's been getting torched well, that, the, that the, report, the report was Brian Van Gordon <laughs> likes them going forward. I, um, and, and then a linebacker, or defensive end, Carl Brooks, who's a sophomore. So I can't imagine. I mean, look at a film uh, like, hey, they like this Hudson kid. <laughs> beat deep, beat deep, beat deep. Okay, they like him. He's just no good yet. <laughs> I mean... You know, somebody cynical would say, you know, you guys were laughing at Notre Dame against Georgia a couple of weeks ago. It's a different world. It's, of course yeah. it is. Of course it is. But, um, yeah, it's hard not to make light of, uh, of the situation. So, um, you know, They're really, worse than New Mexico. Absolutely. So that's why we're doing that. That's why this is, no. that's what this portion is dedicated to. They are worse than New yeah. Mexico. No, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, and we need to get into more of who's going to play and those kind of things and, um, that's what we're going to do in segment two. So it's time to end the laugh fest about uh, Bowling Green and move on to. Uh, we, you want to address that? I, I, I mean, I guess I want to address it because yeah. I was the one to put it down there. Uh, Albert Breer from for Sports Illustrated threw out a, a couple paragraphs saying that um, there appears to be, there might be some interest in Brian Kelly in the NFL. 
There has been all along, so that wouldn't be surprising. Brian can I, Kelly is. Can I just read the paragraph? Yeah, sure. I, I don't want people to overstate sure. what yeah. was reported. No, please do. It had an interesting exchange with a scout on Sunday that led me to this developing opinion. Brian Kelly is underrated. He's in the 10th year at Notre Dame now. He's a good bet to post his fifth 10-win season and third straight. In the 16 years before his arrival, the Irish had just two 10-win campaigns. At the very least, he's the best coach in South Bend since Lou Holtz. And I wonder if NFL teams kick the tires on him again, despite the fact that some think he's too much of a drill sergeant for the league. So that's that's he, not, like, that's a poor... No, he so, wonders. He's yeah, wondering. That's, that's some pretty poor aggregation, I think, right. around the interwebs. And a drill... Brian Kelly's a drill sergeant. Luke Holtz was a drill sergeant. Yeah. Brian Kelly is not a drill sergeant, and even less so now. Now, yeah. in the last, you know, since he made, quote, the change. So, and, and this is my other point. Since when does a scout have any say so in who's high? He talked to a scout? Sure. That's a scout's opinion. It's a scout's opinion. I'll go ask the guy running the library what it, he thinks well, about that's, it. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. similar. I mean, that would be, you know, I mean, the brass outrule scouts when it comes to draft picks, let alone coaching head decisions. coaching yeah. decisions. I would just say if you're, an, if you're a Notre Dame fan and you're sort of on needles about these kinds of blind items, just get ready for the next six months because there's going to be a lot of them as Brian Kelly is pushing for a contract extension at Notre Dame. And this is one of the ways you, that you do did it. You, I covered that with Jack Swarbrick. Did you cover that in your interview with him? I mean, only that he wants him to retire from him. Right. There, there's going to be a contract extension at some point. I asked Brian Kelly about it in July, I think. And, yeah, there's no there's no sense that there's not going to be a deal done. But if you're Trace Armstrong, his agent, you try to maximize everything you can get out of that contract. And one of the ways you do that is create a perception that, well, Clay Helton gets fired. Well, maybe USC would be interested in Brian Kelly. Like, that will be a story. The second Clay Helton gets fired, will, be, will Brian Kelly really go to USC? Is there could, an interest that could, there? That, that talk could come next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> On the tarmac again. <laughs> could happen immediately after the game. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there is the potential, and, and it, it, Brewer mentioned this also, that, you know, Tampa Bay could throw around huge dollars. And, I, you know, I would imagine that if that were the case, that Brian Kelly would be very attractive to that. But I think Brian Kelly has kind of settled into the notion that, hey, it'd be great to stay at Notre Dame through the 2023 season and then retire. I don't. I don't need to. I, I don't need to do this anymore. And that's and the I think, extension. Okay, we did. Right, exactly. His contract before. runs through 2021. I, I talked to Jack Swarbrick about this, and he he literally went to a, a notebook and opened it up to see exactly when. I mean, I thought it was 2021. And he looked up to see that it was indeed 2021, and so five years would take him through. 2023, including this season. So, I don't know. There's some people out there that think it's time for a change. That's a, that's the minority, of course, because Brian Kelly's going to win, likely win double-digit games for the fourth time in five years. So, thus, the interest from the NFL anytime. Look, as long as the, whenever the Notre Dame head coach is extremely successful, he's going to be a candidate for the NFL from now through the rest of our lives, probably. There are six new NFL coaches this year. Four of them haven't won a game. <laughs> You need new coaches in the NFL, too. <laughs> so if you're any right. good in college, they're going to kick the tires on you. Yeah, just I mean, I've always said, like, who are the college coaches that get hired in the NFL? They either have NFL experience or they've won at an incredible level or they have some really whip-smart, innovative, schematic thinking. Brian Kelly is none of those three things. Lincoln Riley should go to the NFL. He could work. Right. I mean, that's why Cliff Clinsbury got hired in the NFL is because he runs a system that is really unique. And he's one of the coaches to, that does not have a victory. Right. Plus, I think Lincoln Riley should go to the NFL because if he keeps averaging 60 points a game with great quarterbacks, that takes a playoff spot away from other teams. Right. right. So. 
All right, segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Burning Up the Boards, brought to you by Rent Like a Champion, South Bend's largest vacation rental company with a 1,000 weekend home rentals close to Notre Dame Stadium, available for fighting Irish game days. Irish Illustrated readers and listeners can get $100 off their booking with the promo code IRISH2019. We start with Wash ND. Considering this game falls between Georgia, Virginia, and USC, could Notre Dame start sluggish on offense even even taking into account how bad Bowling Green and Brian Van Gorder are. No, it's impossible. Maybe, I, maybe they won't score a touchdown on the opening drive. in their first three plays, but as soon as it starts going, it's not going to stop. Well, they're getting. I mean, they're getting gashed. They're giving up the big plays that that we were accustomed to Notre Dame giving up with Brian Van Gorder. I the reason I don't think it's impossible, but it's so improbable. This this week had to be dedicated to getting your offense right with the pieces coming back and getting sharp. You have, I mean, this is a week you want to just be rolling offensively. It doesn't matter who your opponent is. If, if the charge is to be great, then the point to go out there is for Ian Book to be at his best, which he wasn't last week. Yeah, disregarding the the Morgan State game, uh, which was a 46-3 win for Bowling Green, they played Kansas State. The score was 17 nothing at the end of the first quarter, 38 nothing at halftime, and final 52 to nothing. Uh, against Louisiana Tech, Skip Holtz's team. It was 14-7. to Louisiana Tech at the end of the first quarter, 21-7 to at halftime. The final was 35-7. to And then against Kent, it was 21-7 to at the end of the first quarter, 24-7 to at halftime. And then uh, Kent scored 38 in the second half in a 62-20 to game. Kent has some good backups. <laughs> they must. <laughs> they put them in. They're rolling. They must. And Kent was, I believe your insider, Tim, said that was a game that, you know, as Bowling Green. Now, Bowling Green plays Akron, and Akron's really bad, too. So that might be a game that they can win. Uh, in fact, that game might just determine which team goes 1-11, the other 0-12. Dude, let me tune into that. That'll be a, dan- <laughs> that'll be a dandy. So... Uh, sure, anything can happen. You can you can throw an interception. You can fumble. I guess you can start slowly, they have one but it won't matter. All year. Yes, they do have no. one interception all year. Uh, Nordings running backs never lose a fumble. Oh, I said that out loud. Yeah. This is the week to say it. <laughs> Might as well break the streak. Uh, so it's doubtful. It's it's doubtful that Nordim gets off to a slow start. Kaiser Wilhelm, is it possible we see a, a Ball State sort of game this weekend from Ian Book, with him being asked to work outside his comfort zone, stay in the pocket, and make throws he normally wouldn't make? The way Wimbush was that day. I hope not. I think that's a waste of the weekend. Me too. It, that's was my. You know, I don't. They, I know that they can run the shovel pass to Chris Fink and Lawrence, or not Lawrence Keys as he's out, but um, Mike Young. That's a that's a waste of time. Yeah, to I, me. I don't I've think I don't think push they do that. The ball vertically down the field. See what happens. Well, that Take would be outside. Shots. Is that outside his comfort zone? That's you're kind of agreeing. Make that actually. his comfort yeah, zone. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, like, don't. Just run your offense. Well, I, just, when, just, just when I get see Ball, at what yeah, you do. it's just like when I see Ball State in Wimbush. Right, that was a refusal to run. I'm not saying Ian Book should never throw a short pass, or he should no. never scramble, or well, should never do that turn and spin thing. He can do that, 
but just take six, seven, eight deep shots instead of three or four. Yeah, I'm going to jump ahead to a question because I was going to mention RPOs, and Denver Maximus uh, asked, do you see Notre Dame moving towards a more power running game like we saw at the end of the Virginia game? The RPO seems like wasted downs and leads to more stuffs with the personnel Notre Dame is currently fielding. Why not game plan with what you have and not force the RPO? I, I'm I'm bringing that up because I because RPO is part of Chip Long's offense and they're capable of running it. I don't think that you I don't think you abandon that. This might maybe that takes I don't know why that would take them out of their comfort zone or Ian Book out of the comfort zone. But if you're going to do something and try to improve it in this game, to me that would be it. Yeah, the RPO is not going away, um, and there are different RPOs. You don't need to run RPOs up the middle all the time. Um, you know, you can sort of invert it where the give is to a running back running laterally, and the keep is for a quarterback going up the middle, um, or a quick throw. I mean, something quick, throw quick outside, fine. which they haven't. They haven't. Yeah, done a I just lot of that. The, the RPO. I mean, this sort of gets back to the deep shots. They haven't been. The deep shots have been there. Ian Book hasn't taken them, so I'd like to see him take them. The RPO has not been run efficiently. So I'd like to see them work that out uh, on Saturday against Bowling Green. It's a good, it's a good time to do it. Um, you know, and it's not all how it's blocked. It, a lot of it is the decision making of the quarterback when to give it, when to keep it. But uh, I think in particular when to throw it. K K Huff eighty seven forty. We're gonna save that one, right? Yeah. Uh, do you think BVG will use a three three five as the base defense against Nordane this weekend? Homage to uh, <laughs> Norris Colorado. That would be. Well. Notre Dame ran a three-three-five yeah. against Texas uh, in 2016 two hundred fifty pound quarterback. When they had two hundred fifty pound quarterback and a two hundred forty five pound running back, didn't make a whole lot of sense then. And as it after Texas scored fifty, how much? Uh, fifty. Fifty on the nose. Yeah. Fifty on the nose. It proved to be uh, that. That was a joke. Uh, we don't expect them to use a three-three-five. I expect uh, to see a five-five-five. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Good, uh, good call. And they're already running it anyway. Yep. <laughs> good call, K. Huff, uh, eighty-seven forty. Uh, Jay Dolezal, who is the younger guy, not already on everyone's radar, that could see some playing time this weekend and surprise us. I bet we're, we might all say the same guy. Minor defense: um, Ovi Agofu and KJ Wallace. KJ Wallace was my guy. KJ Wallace yeah. was my guy. We saw Agofu last yeah. week. That's why uh, the question was. Uh, Guy not already on everyone's radar. But they're all on our radar. So I yeah, I mean, I don't, it's hard to draw the yeah. line there. But like KJ, Brian Kelly, but he says, KJ, nothing surprises me. <laughs> yeah, right. KJ Wallace would be um, a guy that would come to mind for me. Um, Kyron Williams would seem to have an opportunity. He would be on the hook right? for this. Uh, he would seem to be in a position to have an opportunity. Maybe you can give Avery Davis some, some just, you know, Clean straight handoffs. If you want to do that, I don't. You I can don't try to get him a screen pass that works too. You know, because it's been ridiculous how well these are set up, and they can't execute the screen pass. Right there are, you just the world is opening up downfield, and they're not getting that screen pass to Avery Davis to work for whatever reason. Right against Georgia, a great play was made, but you can still make that block. I don't know what went wrong with the first the pseudo drop by Davis. It was it was not a good throw. It was not a good catch. Banks is in the way. Like, I know. I, 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 that was something I commented in tail of the tape, and somebody said, well, that was a bad throw. I get it. But Avery Davis, I mean, he dropped passes last year when he had a brief stint. He's got – if he's going to – he's got to make those plays. He's not going to get another opportunity if he doesn't. Another guy, and I put this in our film review, was I told – I said Javon McKinley has to catch that ball. And someone pointed it's a high slant. It was not an easy catch. That's for the Belk Bowl. 
Right. Those are Belk Bowl plays. If you can't make those plays, you're going to Belk Bowl. Catch well, the ball and run. No, that's true. And, and I, I want to talk about McKinley and others, but I want to save that for another question. So we will move on to Pete. You want to ask one? Yes. Uh, do a 24 EL Houston. What do you think is the cause of Ian Book's regression? I think it's a stagnation more than a regression. I think he's stagnated. Um, from the, I mean, if you're looking at the end of the year, we're we going back to Stanford and Wake, or are we going to the body of work of Pittsburgh? Right, right. Yeah, I, yeah. USC. Syracuse, Notre Dame was great. Ian Book wasn't great. They threw away about 20 points in the first three quarters, right? <clears throat> well, yeah. We kept talking about it. We, yeah. were, we were sitting there like, oh, my, this game should be a total blowout. Right. It ended up being a blowout, so nobody cares. This Ian is, Book is supposed to be much better. That's the problem. Okay, yeah. so what's the reason? I mean, somebody we want we want to point fingers at somebody. So what what's the reason? And I would point the finger at Ian Book. Sure. Yeah. I I, I, I think on the previous podcast we talked about regression, progression, stag- whatever the word. stagnation. The, somebody mentioned this in the comments of my mailbag this week. He said Ian Book has played 15 games for Notre Dame, 14 starts, and then including the LSU game. Six of Book's seven lowest career passer ratings have occurred in the last seven starts, with the outlier being New Mexico. Like, that is kind of a regression. Like, I've been sort of, like, pushing back against that term, but in that instance, the efficiency of the passing game, you would say that it's regressed. And I gave the stat about his efficiency in the fourth quarter of the last, like, 12 or 13 games, which is good. Right. You know, so that kind of flies in the face of that, but... I, I'm, I, I think maybe. it's that Ian Book just is nowhere near what I thought he would be at this point. Before this, before August started, we got little hints of it in August, and we were kind of validated um, inside the Goog by our saying Ian Book doesn't look that good this August. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he was amazing one day. This is so probably you kind of right. Yeah, we, we you kind, kind of, of forgot like, well, it then. Kind of well, forgot about it. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't respond to that question because you can't compare a. a di- I mean, first they were going against. Uh, Prep team. No, but you can too. compare for 37 of 41 versus what we had seen. That's what I was comparing. No, no comparing, doubt. No doubt. Know? But, uh, you know, I mean, what happens in a practice, especially against a prep team compared to a game? I mean, there's no, obviously, the emotions of the moment aren't anywhere close to that. But um, I, I don't, I'm, so I, you know, maybe I should blame it on Tom Reese. I don't. Maybe I should blame it on Chip Long. I don't. Maybe I should blame it on Brian Kelly. I don't. I blame it on Ian Book because on the first snap of the game, when he runs out of bounds for a five-yard loss on the side, runs out of bounds for a five-yard loss on the first snap of the game, I would like to know where is your head? What are you thinking about? Because you're not thinking about playing football for Notre Dame. That was an excusable play. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's not something. It, it is actually things that you see freshmen in their first starts do. But Tony Rice did to end the Pittsburgh game in his first ever time he came in and rallied them. He ran out of bounds. He didn't realize the game was going to end. He wouldn't have done that as a senior, right? Yeah. And I, you know, and Brian Kelly is right. Fourteen career starts for a quarterback is not a lot, but it's plenty for that it's, kind of it's stuff. It's plenty for a lot. Of it's, things a bunch. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's a lot of starts. <laughs> Uh, the uh, good ones don't get to 27 or 28, yeah. right? I mean, right. Brady Quinn could have left before he got to those starts right. if he wanted to. Well, and if Brady Quinn was playing in the present-day college football world, he would have been. He would have left. Uh, well, I don't want to speak for Brady Quinn, but anyway. CMU Penns fan. With Lawrence Keyes and Chase Claypool both banged up, is this an important week for Braden Lindsay to show a lot if he is to be considered a meaning, 
uh, for meaningful playing time down the stretch. I mean, he'd be one of the guys that's high on my list that I that I want to see. He wouldn't be the off the radar super deep cut guy from the previous question, but he's a guy that Notre Dame doesn't have another one like him on the offense. They they don't have a guy who can just run a go route and run by somebody. So I'd like to see Notre Dame work that with Ian Book and Book cut it loose and and Lindsay make a play on it. And I'd like to see Michael Young have a good day too, because he's going to play a lot more against USC than my, than Braden Lindsay. Going to play a lot more against Michigan, but yeah, Lindsay should be involved in this game for more than just coming in with the second unit and Dracovic and everybody. Why not rotate him in? With you really got to keep Chase Claypool and Tony. Jo- I know Tony Jones isn't hurt, but it'd be good to keep Tony Jones healthy, considering you can run Flemister, Kyron Williams. And anybody else you want. Tony Jones does not need to carry more than eight times maximum, right? And Chase Claypool, you have to rest that ankle, right? I think you almost have to. A little bit. I mean, look, if it if it responded during the week, again, if he's fine, if if it responded, he's fine. Then play. I bet he'll play, but then very like the earliest of the early holes. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's going to go in. As we said, we don't take away games from seniors. Only people that take away games from seniors is fantasy football. These guys want to play in their games, right? And this was the question I said I wanted to say, you know, Javon McKinley needs to get involved too. And Joe Wilkins is a guy now that's kind of moved up the depth chart, and that's an off-the-radar guy that, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how prominent he's going to be in the future right. moving forward at wide receiver, but uh, this would be a game and opportunity for him maybe to catch, catch a couple of passes. I, the other thing, I'm sorry, Tim, but, you know, you don't have to just put Lindsey out there to run a run a no. fly. I mean, you know, I mean, you can... He had that stay it, route for a touchdown yeah. against uh, New Mexico. That yeah. Clark over, almost overthrew him. He got up and then Brandon. Right. I mean, he could right. he could do that kind I mean, of stuff. I mean, get him involved in the in in the the you know the more intricacies of the routes. He, yeah, you need to develop too. him. McKinley just has two right. highlights. Right. Those have nothing to do with making plays as the number four <laughs> or five receiver. I mean, I'm more interested to see what Braden Lindsay can do than Devon McKinley. Oh, me for well, sure. I agree with that. No, I agree with that. But I would like to see Michael Young come out and be Michael Young. Sure. He was outstanding. No, I think Mike, yeah, Michael Young's more important. Lindsay's probably more important than Wilkins because I just don't know how much Wilkins is going to. I've always liked Wilkins, but I, when you hear the feedback from the coaching staff, it's like, they can't under when he has success. They can't understand why. Chris Fink said the same thing. I don't know, really. He's just good at everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tim, Chico forty nine twenty three. Do we know the specifics of Jafar Armstrong's injury? What did he hurt, and did he have surgery? And what is the latest timetable on his return? Is SC a possibility? He he did have surgery. Uh, the injury, as Brian Kelly said it, when he had surgery, was rectus abdominis. But that is the entire. That's from top to bottom of your abdomen. I, so he didn't specify exactly where the injury was. I believe it was lower, right? Yes. But I don't because they that. thought it was a groin initially. Exactly. That was like the medical so staff. So it's it at the, the lower game. portion of the abdomen. Is that better or worse than a larger, uh, stronger upper ab? I, I mean, it's probably not as strong as your upper abs, but I, I don't, you know, I don't. I don't know have any abs. How would I know it? Um, By week, Michigan. I think Bra- it's going to be USC. Brian Kelly. Said USC, uh, you know, you remember that, yeah, but we didn't think, you know, Cole Komet. He's bionic. I'm surprised <laughs> Young was back last week. He was surprised he was back. Yeah. When I, I, w- to him, I was said, much more surprised yeah. about Young's return than I was about well, I originally Komet. said I originally said Michigan for Michael Young, so I was way off. But I had somebody in the Goog say, like, well, I mean, we could do the four-game redshirt. I heard that yeah. as well, yes. So. Uh, Michael Young came back because of Cole Komet. 
that's who he credited for his rehab. And he said, Cole Komet has no idea, but he inspired me to come back because the, the day he Michael... Could go, he could tell him. The day Michael Young got hurt, the literal day Michael Young got hurt, Cole Komet was catching passes. Yeah. So what either Chip Long or Dell Alexander should have followed up with him said, just broke his collarbone, terrible news, he has no idea what's going to happen, he's never had a serious injury. He goes, did you look on the sideline? Cole Komet, week and a half ago, he's catching passes. So Young's like, whoa, I couldn't go play football. And I think... He was second among the offensive skill position players in snaps last week. Wow. Behind Cole Komet. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty incredible. I think that, not that I know him that well, but I think Jafar Armstrong is going to look at all of what you just said. Uh, that's a good call. Yeah. Because he is a, I mean, everybody knows how motivated he is to play and be a warrior, uh, which he has not been up to this point. To a large He's extent. a practice warrior, according to Brian Kelly and Chip Long that he fights through everything in practice. So that would be... Yeah, I think he's like more of a bad luck. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I... Jafar Armstrong had some crap luck. I, you know, I would agree with that. And I think he's a great competitor, and if he can be back for USC, he will be back for USC. J.J. Dippo, I'm in win-now mode. That said, is there a creative <laughs> series of game plans from Lee slash Elston versus our remaining schedule where we would use all of our front four depth, youth included, to preserve Jameer Jones and all the other red shirts except Isaiah Foskey. Why do why you do people include, want you should include no, Foskey? Well, he's saying I think he's saying Foskey should play. Mm-hmm. And I'm I w- did Three are we going to skip sure. over are we going to skip over a Gufo? I mean, he looked he looked very good last week. A Gufo should be he's think, a, also he's already redshirted. Right. There's no upside in sitting him anymore. Like Foskey and, and uh, Osafa Mensa and Spears uh, should play in this game. Yes. Unless you are in any way redshirting Jameer Jones, and then you have to be creative and not play those guys in a game you don't even need to play. Is that that's? Is that they're going to play Jameer Jones. It's though. not no real at this point. I don't think they redshirt. It's not you? re- you're 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 ninth in the country. It's not realistic, is it, to think that you're going to go through the whole season without Hayes and Jones? No, I mean especially the way Brian Kelly has managed the roster in the past. Like if it's a doubt, you're playing. Like there's no, you got look. You got Batello coming in. You got Aaronsberger. You've got you're going to preserve Fosky and uh, Asafo Mensa. Gufo's Ogofu, going to have three years eligibility going into next year. You're going to get Hayes back. Justin Enamalola until not playing these last two games has always made tackles when he goes in. I'm like at scrimmage, he usually makes plays. It was weird to me that he hasn't. Didn't I would scrimmage. rather them play Jameer Jones. I think so too. And I bet Jameer Jones would probably rather play too. I mean, that's I tried to like tease this out of Julian O'Quara on Tuesday night about like. All right, essentially confirm that he, in fact, will play the rest of the year. He's like, yeah, I don't really know about that, but he's going to make some plays the rest of the year. Yeah, I I wrote it today. Uh, Jameer Jones doesn't probably have to worry about finding housing for the fall of 2020. Yeah. Not in South Bend, anyway. I wouldn't think so, but I I get the question. because, Because Bowling Green is up, no one single player has to play in this game. Right? So you actually are pushed back another week where... Jameer Jones clearly will play against USC and Michigan. But that makes it four. So that I see no reason in sitting him the rest of the year if you beat USC and Michigan. You need Jameer Jones to go 5-0 and and maybe win your playoff slash He's your Nicole number game. four defensive yeah. end. So there's no way of doing it now. It's he, a 25-snap player. Yeah. yeah. It's not a five-snap player. Had no, he not I appeared in the Georgia game, yeah, you'd have, you have a little more leeway, if right? If he was a third team, if... Dalen Hayes' injury elevated Jameer Jones to the third team. I think you could still have the conversation, but it, it's not how it worked. He's second team. Second teamers play. Yeah, I, you know, I, again, you don't you don't save for next year. You, you, you're you're a top ten team right now. You you go for it, and I think 
Jameer Jones would probably prefer that, all things considered. BWAC29. I thought they had decided to redshirt Kyron Williams until one of you guys pointed out that he's been on kick returns for every game. What's keeping him out of the running game? I love Tony Jones, but unless a hole is six feet wide, he doesn't gain more than a few yards. More SIBO and mixing in Kyron seems like it would be at least a change of pace until Armstrong is back. I don't know why Kyron Williams was part of the main was part of the opening week. Because you know. he had a great camp. Yeah, no, and then but then he was just disappeared so quickly. Well, but nobody ever he had a bad game. We <laughs> we never said anything <laughs> about Notre Dame trying to redshirt Kyron Williams. No, never. Correct. No, he just so automatic. Know, I don't know yeah, where that. Yeah, I, I don't know where that, that came from. I don't even think other outlets would have said that. I think he missed that Kyron Williams was playing because he played one snap against Louisville and you barely saw him again. Oh yeah. I think he just didn't see him out there against Georgia. No, he he had a good August and and they liked him and there was never really any intention of preserving a year for him. Um, so how about that, playing him more? How about playing him more? Well, this, certainly this week, but I think you got to keep running him out there until the, he clicks in. Like this, there's no pressure on you to perform this week, but he seems like when you see him on the field, he just looks tense. Yeah. Um, so does. you got to get over that hump at some point. This would be a good good way to do it. I, do, do I say this every week? I want to see more Sebo Flemister. I want, I want to see, especially after what he did last week, the 11 yard touchdown run. Breaking tackles is impressive. He was elusive on the, the short pass for 13 yards. That's the guy. You know, I mean, in a perfect world, you have you have Jameer Smith and Tony Jones as your bigger backs, and you have Armstrong and Sebel Flemister as your quicker backs. And wherever Kyron Williams fits in in 2019, he fits in. But to Pete's point and to your point about Tony Jones not getting more than eight carries, this is the day to get Kyron Williams out there. Because yes. Tony Jones should not be running the second half. They need him to play against USC to protect Ian Book, and to run the entire second half against USC. Mm-hmm. You don't know if Jafar Armstrong's back. So Flemister a lot, Kyron Williams some, and you're getting Jameer Smith back Jameer in the next two. It's yeah. Tony Jones is the one that needs to take a break right. in this game. Right. He's really elevated his status. Yeah. They haven't preserved you know, Tony Jones all of a sudden. I mean, I, I get, I mean I'm, I, everything, I hear true, about, everything I hear about Kyron Williams as a gamer, and, and, and it's all good, and you know, part of the reason why there was no consideration or we didn't hear any consideration of redshirting him was that he came in, he was an early entry guy, and he was so confident and mature that they thought, okay, well, this guy's in the mix. But I'm still not convinced that he's a sub-4-5 guy. So I don't really know how much he's not. I don't is think he, he is. I mean, I don't think he mean is. he's not really good, though, either. No, I know. Yeah. I, I know. I just, I think there, I think some people are waiting for Kyron Williams to just, like, explode upon the scene. And because he's such a gamer and competitive guy, he could – but I'm not necessarily sure that he has all the physical characteristics that you that you're looking for to be that to be that guy. Some back's going to be fifth of the five. Right now it's Kyron. Right Williams. now probably is going to stay that way. Right for a now little it's bit. him. Dip ninety eight with USC's three stud receivers arriving in just over a week. Do you agree we're going to see a bunch of Wallace Griffith and Dante Vaughn this week? Seems like we need to get those guys some serious reps in order to figure out our third cornerback. Otherwise, the USC game plan will simply be identify which guy is not covered by Pride or Bracey and throw it to him. Well, it's going to be anyway. Yeah, that's the game plan. It doesn't matter if it's Wallace, Griffith, or Vaughn play this week at all. (laughs) Yeah, The game plan is who's guarding Pittman, Vaughn's, or St. Brown? uh, Regardless of the opponent for USC, because that's the strength that they have right now down to their third-string quarterback. Slovis comes back um, this week, I guess. You could get Wallace confidence in reps if he has a great day, but it's still going to be a different world. When he goes against USC, but it's it's important to get him out there. KJ yeah. Wallace, if he's part of your solution, he's got to be out there a lot right now. KJ Wallace. Well, you right? certainly would think that. I mean, as much as they invested in Houston Griffith last year and in the spring, 
I haven't seen that investment since the spring, I, though. I know, I know. You didn't see it in August, and he, he got on the field a little bit last week, but I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I just don't get it. Dante Vaughn, I just don't, I just don't think that that's the route to go. I, 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 Do you want Vaughn to cover someone on USC? No. I mean, I just don't. I the, the, you don't ever see progress. You just he would have given up a touchdown if it was a better progress. throw on the corner route. He fell down the corner. Absolutely, that's a touchdown. Right, absolutely. Um, B. Tilbury, let's have yeah. some fun betting over under six hundred yards. Over. I'll well, just say over for everything. Yeah, over. <laughs> Notre Dame covers minus forty five. Cover. 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 I agree. Over under two hundred fifty yards rushing. I think that might be the easiest of, the, of all of them. Kent State had 275. Yeah. They're going way over. They're going over everything. I don't know what the no, line is. No. How about this? What is the line? 375. I'm sorry. What yeah. line would make you think for rushing yardage? 375. 375, you would be like, mm, No, 350. 350 would make you think about it? O'Malley? 300 would make me think about it. I'd say three, 325 would be. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Okay, there. and then lastly, over under 300 passing yards. Well, they're 75th in completion percentage. It's going to be hard not to go over 300 yeah. yards. There's so many yards after the catch. You know, Claypool only plays about half, maybe eight fewer yards. He's an automatic. I mean, you throw him the ball, who's tackling Chase Claypool on this team? They're deep, they tackle. You see the highlights of them tackling Kent State? <laughs> God. Did they tackle Kent State? No. I ta- I, you know, it's so funny because... And I'm going to pick on BVG again here. You know, what I mean, it's, it's, it's just more, like, so. you know, attack the line of scrimmage. The running back comes through the first wave. Here comes the second wave of defenders. They square them up, and, and I mean, it's like they're blo- they're like tackling dummies. They're so easy to square up, and then they're gone. Uh, it's 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 really astonishing to watch. We'll end with. Um, a question that we pushed to the back here, and that is from Irish Guy eighty two eighty two. Can you please get the Tim O'Malley BVG defensive points allowed math for the Bowling Green game? It is back until Van Gorder gets another job and ends up on Notre Dame's schedule. This is the final appearance. As you know, Ian Book is alive and well. Notre Dame starts with thirty points against any Van Gorder defense. He is a living, living breathing quarterback. Thank you. So was Daniel Jones, who turned out to be pretty good, by the way. He was the original living, breathing quarterback. Bowling Green is going to start with zero, so it's 30 to nothing. Bowling Green has a junior linebacker that wears number nine. Notre Dame had that, too. His name was Jalen Smith. This is Roland Walder. I assume he will not blitz because Brian Van Gorder doesn't blitz guys that are really good at blitzing. Plus 14 for Notre Dame. 44 nothing. Ian Book did not play particularly well last week. The last time Van Gorder coached, in Notre Dame Stadium, it was Duke and Daniel Jones, who also did not play well the previous week, in a 13-point performance and loss to Northwestern. Van Gorder cures all quarterback ills, 51-0 right now, Notre Dame. I haven't had the occasion to use the word unfettered, as you know, quite as often as the Van Gorder film review times. Uh, so, for example, back then it was UMass running back Marquise Young scampered unfettered 83 yards into the Irish end zone. That actually happened. There's going to be a lot of unfettered in this game. Plus 14 for Notre Dame, 65 nothing. There's a drawback to unfettered. I'm going to need a thesaurus to come up with new words so I don't get repetitive in my stories. That's minus 7 for Notre Dame. I don't like bringing thesauruses with me in the press box anymore. So 58 nothing. Brian Kelly said he has not been in touch with Van Gorder since firing him exactly 158 weeks ago. <laughs> He's had a lot of jobs. He's been moving around. <laughs> around. Keeps changing his number. I am fine with that. Mercy is for the week. 10 points for Notre Dame. It is now 68 nothing. However... 
I'm going to add to that because Van Gorder told the Toledo Blade, and I brought this up, that Auburn, Notre Dame, and Louisville were difficult situations right along the lines of Bowling Green. It's going to seem a little worse this week. Ten more, 78 nothing Notre Dame. <laughs> now, I will say, there are two points here to make. Van Gorder, the day he was fired, almost hit my sister with his car. Okay? This is really... On purpose? No. He almost, <laughs> he almost crashed into my sister. I would, if you had said, uh, yeah. if you had said oh, yes. Well, I'm no, okay. this is in his favor. Apparently, he was very nice, got out of the car, got out of the car and apologized. That she was in her car. Said he was distracted, which we actually know why now. Very nice thing to do. Apparently, that's a very nice person. It's minus seven for our name. We're down to 71 nothing. Okay? Nice guy, right? Where, where does this end? Well, he's not coordinating Bowling Green's offense. So, final score, Notre Dame 71, Bowling Green 10. 71-10? Yeah. Pete, your prediction. I'm just, I'm, I defer to O'Malley, so I'm going to go 71-10 as well. Nice. I, I'm not going <laughs> to challenge the theory of Are the living, good? breathing quarterback. Unless there's a hurricane and they change coordinators, oh, it won't God. happen. Yeah. All right. The uh, predictions on Irish Solicitor will be out tomorrow, along with my lengthy preview of Notre Dame versus Bowling Green. And uh, <laughs> lengthy, you, you had to throw that word in there. No, one I mean time like compa- no, I mean, <laughs> yes. compared compared to the other predictions <laughs> on our on our site. Mine is the you're lamenting. larger. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the larger version of the the preview, and we'll have the score revealed then. Until uh, Saturday pregame with O'Malley and me in Nordheim Stadium. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Thank you for joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>